Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. What's up, Outpouring? It's Pastor John. So good to see you on another glorious Sunday morning. I pray that you are well to my Outpouring family. Man, I miss you guys so much. And we're praying through what it looks like for us to gather um, as time tends to move forward. Um, but in the meantime, we're going to continue to pray. We're going to continue to meet here online. So, so would you call somebody up, let them know that we're on and share this with your family and friends. Or if somebody's in the house with you, invite them in to come and share in what God is doing through our church this morning. To all of our first time guests that are joining us online for the first time, maybe somebody invited you here, maybe somebody sent you a link. We just want to say welcome. So glad that you're with us on this morning. We're as honored as we would be as if you were with us physically. If you're ever in the Orlando area, we would love for you to come and visit with us on a Sunday morning. But we're glad that you're meeting with us online. And so I want to talk this morning about the topic of discipleship. What, What does it mean for Christians to follow Jesus? Um, I think oftentimes um, we get caught off guard or we are disappointed with different things in life, not just our faith, but we get disappointed because oftentimes we go into things without understanding what we're getting ourselves into. And I want to say this, man, I am unapologetically a follower of Jesus Christ. The best decision The best single decision I've ever made in my life was to follow Jesus. He has literally changed my life, but it has not come without challenges, although it's been many great blessings um, that I've experienced in my life because of my relationship with God. His hand has been on my life in so many seasons, and and that means in good and bad seasons, the comforting knowing that the God of the universe is with me. Nothing is better than that. But I I want you to be clear on what it means to follow Christ. And so this morning we'll talk about Christian discipleship. What that means is a word that we use, we've heard before, but maybe maybe we don't understand what that means in its totality. But Jesus paints a picture for us in the text that we're going to read this morning that tells us just what he requires for us to follow him. And it is not an uh, uh, impulse decision that we make, but it's something that we have to consider. And so if you got a Bible, I want you to turn me to... Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 33. Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. And I am reading from the ESV this morning. um, Luke 14, verses 25 through 33. And I'll begin reading. Says this in verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me, And does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. And yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. Jesus is already making a statement. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is doing this thing down already. Here's what he says is how, how, why we have to consider. For, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. 
Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Verse 32, and if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. He's like, I, I don't want it with him. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. We acknowledge you. God, our prayer is a sign of our dependence on you. Our prayer is actually an expression of not just our worship, not just our dependence, but humility. Our prayer is saying and communicating that we know that we need you, that apart from you, we're absolutely nothing. And so, Lord, I'm praying this morning that you would help us, that you would supernaturally open our ears, hearts, minds to hear, to receive, to grow, to learn, to come into a beautiful, consistent, faithful, enduring relationship with you. And so, Father, let this particular Sunday serve as an encouragement to us. Let it be not just head knowledge, but let it be heart transformation. Let us walk out the call that you've set before us. And so, Father, I pray for each person that is viewing, pray for each person that is here this morning or that is watching online. I pray that you would bless them tremendously. And so, Father, we thank you. We praise you. We bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My, my sermon title this morning is Jesus on Discipleship. Jesus on Discipleship. I think it's important for us to be clear about following Jesus and what that looks like and what that entails. You know, when we buy things or buy products, we want to know everything that we're paying for up front. We, we want to know all of the charges. We, we want to know that if we're buying some equipment, we're buying some electronics, we're buying a car, we, we want to we know everything up front. We don't want there to be any hidden costs because we don't want to have buyer's remorse. We, we want to know, we want all the details to be laid out for us so that there are no disappointments later. We, we want to know what we're getting ourselves into so that we can enjoy what we have just decided to invest in. And so we, we don't want to invest in something and then find out later that we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into once it's too late and we've already invested too much. Spiritually speaking, as a Christian, I, I want to say this, that, that I am a follower of Jesus. You, you may be a follower of Jesus and you may be, you may have been following him or assuming that you follow him for quite some time. But the last thing I want to experience is for Jesus to say to me that, that he didn't know, know me, that, that, that he says what he said in Matthew 7, 
that, that many will say, Lord, Lord, did we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, do miracles in your name? And he will say, I'll announce them. I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. That, that has got to be one of the most frightening scriptures in the Bible to know that you can think that you've been serving God, but you didn't read the fine print. And so today's message is to bring clarity and watch how Jesus determines who is his disciple. He, he wants to make it clear for us so that we could consider and count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And so in this particular text, tens of thousands of people uh, are following Jesus. These crowds that are following Jesus during the time of his ministry are huge crowds. Jesus is somewhat like a local rock star. His, his popularity is at its fever pitch during this time. Some of the multitudes wanted to see more of his miracles. They wanted to see, hear more of his teaching, but many of them were following Jesus indirectly because they were following the crowds. And it's kind of like it is in our day. We, we pick up on whatever anybody else is doing. We do so many challenges. Sometimes we have no connection to what the end goal of the thing is, but we're doing it because everybody else is doing it. And so the crowds are following Jesus and they're excited because people always love something new. And so people were curious about Jesus. People were curious about Jesus and you may be watching today and you may be curious about Jesus. Maybe somebody told you to watch online. Maybe somebody sent you a link of the sermon. Maybe somebody invited you to our online community uh, on, on, that we're streaming live and somebody may have invited you, but you are curious about Jesus. And the first thing I want you to know is that Jesus, for those that were following him, Jesus demanded more than curiosity. Jesus demanded commitment. Whoa. And so what does that mean for us that live in a society that has commitment phobia? The, the multitudes that followed Jesus were extremely positive about him. They liked what he had to say, but they were not necessarily committed to who he was. And so think about it from a relational aspect. How many of us want friends and people hanging around us that are not actually committed to us? That, that if we, we are our friends, if you are my friend, I expect you to be a ride or die within reason. Now, now that doesn't mean that if you have a friend that if they drive off the cliff, you drive off the cliff, cliff with them. But, 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 but for most stuff, I'll stick with you when, when you're right and I'll cover you when you're wrong. However, that there are limitations. And, and so all of us enter into relationships with expectations that the people that are in relationship with us, whether friendship or otherwise, are committed to our well-being. And so Jesus wants to know that people are following him, not because they're curious, but because they are committed. I want to read something to you. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 67. And, and it's, so, it's so clear that he lays it out. Many among his disciples heard this and said, this is tough teaching, too tough to swallow. And Jesus sensed that his disciples were having a hard time with this and said, does this throw you completely? Like Jesus is like, yo, this, does this throw you off? What I'm saying? What, what would happen if you saw the son of man ascending to where he came from? The spirit can make life. Sheer muscle and willpower don't make anything happen. Every word I've spoken to you is a spirit word. And so it is life making. But some of you are resisting, refusing to have any part of this. Here's what it says. Jesus knew from the start that some weren't going to risk themselves with him. He knew also who would betray him. 
Here's what the key is. He went on to say, this is why I told you earlier that no one is capable of coming to me on his own. You get to me only as a gift from the father. After, a, after this, a lot of his disciples left. Wow. They no longer wanted to be associated with him. Then Jesus side-eyed the 12 and gave them their chance. And he asked the ones closest to him, you want to leave too? Whenever you raise the bar or your expectation of people, people will begin to fall off. Whenever you set a standard, expect not everyone to meet the standard that you set. I'm afraid that many of us, because we lack companionship or we want it so bad or we want acceptance so bad or we don't want to miss out, we, we, we oftentimes lower the bar in our lives and our relationships and our expectations of people when we should be raising the standard. And that will let us know, and that is a true barometer of who should be in your life and who shouldn't be in your life, what you should tolerate and what you shouldn't tolerate. Jesus did it, and so should we. And so, we live in a time in our generation where people can make, a, make an initial commitment. The problem ain't committing at the outset. The problem is, we live in a generation of people who have a hard time keeping their commitments. And so, I, I love that he tells us very specifically that we can't come to him on our own, that, that, that we can't come to God unless he draws us into a relationship with him. God gives us a relationship with him through his son, but the relationship is a gift. Our relationship with God is a gift. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. We must completely trust in him. He brings us in the relationship and he keeps us while we are there. And so oftentimes people want to be in relationship with Jesus on their own terms. But that's not Christian discipleship. If you are doing Christianity your own way, you may not be a Christian. And so it says after Jesus said that, a lot of disciples left. And I love it. I love it so much that Jesus even turned to the 12 and he gave them an opportunity to make a decision if they were going to stick with him or not. Jesus gave them an opportunity and said, if you want to go, you can go with them because who I want are people that are not just curious, but people who are committed. And what we see here is Jesus is intentionally thinning out the crowd because not everybody that follows Jesus is a disciple of Jesus because discipleship calls for commitment. And there is an attitude that permeates our culture that says we can be saved without ever committing our lives to Christ. But to be a true disciple means I am willing to make a lifelong commitment to abandon my past affections and embrace the lifelong call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that is not to say you won't make a mistake. That is not to say that you won't that, that you won't fall off at some point. That is not to say that you won't at some season be tempted to turn away. But what it is saying is I realize that I am making a long term commitment at the outset and that following Jesus is not going to be easy. It will cost me something, but there will be a reward for it at the end. And so the gospel saves us. It redeems us. It makes us new. And so we can't look at the gospel as just some sin management. It doesn't just pacify sin, but it redeems and transform us. And so the message of the gospel is not just to be believed, but it's to be lived. We live out the gospel. So Jesus is not looking for spectators. Jesus is looking for disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is a learner, a student. 
And notice something about Jesus. Jesus never adapted his message to the majority preference. He made it plain how they were to follow him. And here's what he says. This is one of the coldest things I've ever read in the Bible. Verse 26 is, 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 a, is a monster. It, it sounds like Jesus is a straight savage. Here's what it says in verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus is, Jesus is tripping. He's saying if, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his family, if you don't hate the people closest to you, if you don't even hate yourself, you can't be my disciple. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Jesus is tripping because I think this contradicts with everything else he says in the Bible. If I'm reading the text plainly, he said to honor your father and mother. That's what he said in Exodus. That's what God said in Exodus 20. Uh, uh, honor your father and mother. So how can I hate them? He says, be reconciled to your brother. So how can I hate my brother? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. So how can I hate everybody else? He even told me to love my enemy. He says, husband, love your wife. But then he just says here, if you don't hate your wife. So I'm confused. The paradox in what Jesus is saying it is this, that our love for him must be so great that our natural love pales in comparison to our love for him, that we love him so much, our love for other people seems like hatred. Wow. And so he's using the language of hatred to express and compare our affections. He's saying essentially that Jesus, that I must be your first loyalty. Does he really want you to hate your family? No, that's not what he's saying. But he's saying, I want you to put me first. I want you to put me first. All other relationships must be second. It is a demand to love Jesus more than anything else. We tend to love our husbands, our wives, our children, our, our family members more than we love God. We tend to put everything else first. But Jesus says to be my disciple, I must come first in your life. That your love for me must be so strong that everything else pales into comparison. I, I think this is good for us to see an example of what this looks like in the life of David. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 16 through 12. I'm going to read it for you. This is a beautiful story with David and his wife. It was reported to King David that God had prospered Obed-Edom and his entire household because of the chest of God, talking about the ark. So David thought, I'll get that blessing for myself. And David went up and brought the chest of, from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David, celebrating extravagantly all the way with frequent sacrifices of choice bulls. David ceremonially dressed in priest linen. He danced with great abandon before God. The whole country was with him as he accompanied the chest of God with shouts and trump, trumpet blasts. But as the chest of God, the ark, came into the city of David, Michelle, Saul's daughter, who's David's wife, is looking out the window. So this sister is looking out the window from afar. This sister's like, yo, what's going on? What's the, why is my husband dancing? And it says when she saw King David leaping and dancing before God, she got mad. Why is he out there showing off? Why is he out there showing off for them girls? I, I put that in there. He, he didn't say that. She didn't say that. Verse 17 through 19 said they brought the chest of God and set it in the middle of the temple being that David had pitched for it. Then in there, David worshiped, offering 
burnt offerings and peace offerings. And when David had completed the sacrifice of burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the men and women alike, a loaf of bread, a date cake, a raisin cake. Then everyone went home and David returned home to bless his family. Michelle, Saul's daughter, came out to greet him. And she's like, oh, no, you didn't. And here's what she says. And she's being sarcastic. How wonderfully the king has distinguished himself today, exposing himself to the eyes of these fast girls. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Of these servant maids like some burlesque street dancer. And David said to his wife, girl, you better watch who you're talking to. In God's presence, I'll dance all I want to. He chose me over your father and the rest of your family, and God made me prince over his people. Oh, yeah, I'll dance to God's glory more reckless even than this. And as far as I'm concerned, I'll look like a fool. David's like, I'll look like a fool for God. I don't care who don't, who don't like it. But among these maids, you're so worried, I'll be honored to an end. And David loved his family, but David was devoted to worship. God. David didn't care if his wife got mad. David didn't care if his friends got mad. David's relationship with God came first. And so I want to encourage you this morning, if you're watching this, I know that you feel like you can't be who God has called you to be, maybe because of who's in your life, but you should not let anybody stop you from praising and worshiping God. God saved you. God blessed you. God keeps you. God provides for you. God has protected you. So you should not let anybody stop you from praising God at any point in your life. If you want to stop the car in the middle of traffic, I don't recommend you doing that, but you feel like God is calling you to praise him, stop what you're doing and praise God. If you are in your kitchen sweeping and everybody else is going crazy and working on your nerves, if it looks crazy, praise God. If you are at your job, as long as it won't get you fired and you feel like you need to give him a praise break, go in the bathroom, praise him in the bathroom and come back and finish your work because you're living on mission. And so David... Doesn't let anything, not even his wife, stop his relationship with God because he loves God that much. Here's what it says in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, you can't be my disciple. And so the crucifixion was the most gruesome form of execution. And so a man would carry his death, carry the cross to his death. They knew what that meant when he said to bear a cross And he essentially is communicating to them what they would understand in that culture. If he's telling me to bear a cross, he's telling me to get prepared to die. Now, for them, that could have meant imminent death, physical death. But for us to bear our cross, it may not mean a physical death, but it may mean that we have to die to some things in our life. It may may mean that we have to let some stuff go, that it may feel like dying, but we're not dying. What profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? And so he's calling us to have an allegiance to him. Because I want to leave you with this. If I'm not willing to die for Jesus, and that I ain't willing to live for him either. Because I can't live for him if I ain't willing to die for him. And that's what he's calling us to do as disciples. So he gives us a parable, verses 28 through 33. For which of you desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the costs. I want to say this, that I've seen people go through a tough season, enter into a church, hear a message, it touches them, they're emotional, 
They come down to the altar, cool in the game, no problem. They're on fire. They serve for a week or two. Or maybe they feel compelled for that week. We never see them again. Because they felt like God got them out of the situation for the moment, but they went back to their life. That ain't discipleship. That's called being emotional for a moment. And I don't want to deny the reality that you can have an emotional moment with God. I, I think the gospel touches our soul. We should be emotional about God. You should praise God sometimes. You should cry sometimes. You should fall out on the floor if that's your thing. That's good. That's good. However, our commitment to God extends through seasons even when we don't feel like praising God. And so here's what he says. Who doesn't first Count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish. All who see it will start mocking him. Oh, man, I thought you I thought you were saved. You back out here with us. I knew you would come running back to me. I thought you was in the church. I, I knew you would come back to me. This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war would not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and acts for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you does not renounce all that he has, he can't be my disciple. And what he's saying is, in order to follow Jesus, we must make careful consideration. That have you ever sat down, even if you are saved, and thought about what you have to give up to follow Jesus? And what you'll realize is, is that you can't do it without him. We need him to endure. That's, the gospel is not us doing it on our own. The gospel is God comes along, brings us through. We don't pull ourselves up by our own bootstrap because newsflash, we don't have no boots. Without him, we are absolutely nothing. And so he gives the boots and he pulls us up. And so we need him to follow him. We need him to follow him. And that should be a burden reliever for us to know that we don't have to follow Jesus on our own. And so he tells us that we must first count the cost. And so he gives us this, this parable about building a tower and then going to war. And I just sum these up like this. The first parable is really asking us, can we afford to follow Jesus? Or are you willing to give some stuff up? The second one is telling us and is answering the question, you can't afford not to follow Jesus. So can you afford to follow him? And if the answer to that is no, the truth is you can't afford not to. Because if you want to have eternal life, it's only through Jesus. We need him. So says this. Verse 33. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has, you can't be my disciple. And you know what happens for us? We attempt every day to hold on to what we want in life and refuse to give it to God. Our money, our time, our possessions, our relationships, our ambitions, our accomplishments, prestige, politics, social agendas, whatever it is. We refuse to give those things to God. But oftentimes what we clutch keeps us away from him. And this is not to say that God didn't want you to be blessed, that God didn't want you to have nice stuff, that God didn't want you to enjoy life because he wants us to enjoy life. There's goodness. 
in nice things. There's goodness in going to a nice restaurant. There's goodness in having friends. There's goodness in having resources. There's goodness in all of those things. However, when we are disciple, what we learn is that we hold those things loosely. Because the only way we'll know that we're his disciple is if we're willing to let go of some stuff so that we can get all of him. So what is it worth? I'm almost done. I want to read you Jesus' words from the book of Mark, Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verses 29 through 30. I want to read this to you. Here's what he says. Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or land for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. There is a reward to following Jesus. Are there eternal rewards? Absolutely. And that is our aim. But there are rewards in the here and now. We have to get out of the mindset to think that a reward from God is something that has monetary value. God can't bless us in that way. But do you know what's better than a nice car and a new house and a new boo? You know what's better than that? Peace. (laughs) You know what's better than riding clean, having joy in the midst of chaos. (laughs) You know what's better than having a bank account full of money that you got on your own? It's having God's provision because he never runs out. You know what's better than having the biggest house on the block? Having God's hand on you to protect you. That that, that he protects us from things that we don't even know he's protecting us from. That's a reward from God. To know that, that I'm going to heaven and it ain't because I did good. That, that I don't have to worry about if I die, will I go to heaven? The, 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 the reward is knowing that I put my trust in Jesus. And so I lay my head down at night. I don't want to die yet. But if I do lay my eyes to sleep and I wake up, I'll be with Jesus in eternity. That's a reward. And so those rewards only come through being a committed disciple, a follower, a learner, and not just learning stuff, but learning it and letting what is in my head connect to my heart so that my life reflects 
that I've been following my teacher. So, when I think about counting the cost, I think about counting the cost. There is no other price. There was no other cost in all of creation that was more costly than God sending his son. And you know what the price was? His life. You know why the price was so high? Because the debt that was incurred was because of our sin. And we could not pay it. So the only one who could pay our sin debt was not another human. It had to be somebody that was human and God all at the same time. And so we put our faith and our trust in Jesus. So my encouragement to you this morning is there is beauty in following Jesus. If no one's ever told you that following Jesus is the best thing that you could ever do, I want to tell you today, there is nothing greater than being in love with Jesus. He is more faithful than any other person could ever be to you. He is more faithful than any career or any accomplishment that you can ever have. So this morning, I want to encourage you to count the costs and ask yourself, Am I curious or am I committed to Jesus? If you are watching us and you have realized in the course of this message that you are just curious, but you haven't really been committed, maybe now is the time for you to surrender. Jesus asked his own disciples, do you want to go to? And so this morning, we must all count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. But I want to tell you this. What we gain in Jesus is far greater than anything that we can gain or hold on to on our own. If this is your first time hearing the gospel of Jesus, or if you've heard the gospel before but never responded, there's a button this flash right now on the screen. If you click that button, you can surrender your life to Christ. I would encourage you if, you, if you feel compelled, that you can type something right there in our live stream, in the private prayer link, and somebody will pray with you. Somebody, don't, don't be ashamed that you surrender your life, even through technology. And so... I I pray for you who's told the line and not sure if you want to follow Jesus. Today is the day that you make a decision to follow him. To those of us who struggle in our commitment, God's grace is sufficient. He's with you in your weakness. Keep your eyes on him. Don't let your shortcomings drive you to despair. Let it drive you to the cross so that we can find hope in him. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for everything that's been said. We thank you, Father, that your grace is sufficient. God, we honor you. 
We love you. We thank you. We praise you. It is in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.